Hey everybody, welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Today's guest is UFC welterweight, Brian Bam Bam Barberina. Um, I've been a fan of, uh, of Barberina's for, for quite a while. Um, you know, he uh, put, put hands on Joe Proctor. Uh, he humbled uh, Sage Northcutt. He scrapped with Colby Covington, Leon Edwards. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that, that, that he'll be in the top five in the coming years. Um, anywho, the thing that I think was probably most cool about uh, Brian is the love that he has for his family. Um, and the thing I really related to with him is like, you know, I really love playing music and, um, and touring you know, and all the amazing shit that I get to do because I pick music as a path. But at the end of the day, you know, I do it all for my family, and I really connected with that in um, in Brian's story. Um, and yeah, he's just a really cool cat. I'm glad we have him on. He also is a, is another Jimmo cat. If you guys remember Chase Gamble, um, he uh, he trains with with Bam Bam in uh, in Gastonia, North Carolina. Um, yeah, dude, they're just breeding special cats out there. Um, and I'm, I'm really blessed to know him, and I'm really grateful for martial arts uh, for bringing all these rad people into my life. Um, yeah, and we got many more fighters to come on the Satsung Podcast, but for now, I'm going to shut up, and we're going to get into it. Everybody, show your love to Mr. Brian Bam Bam Barberino. Brian Barberino, how you doing, bro? Welcome to the Satsung Podcast. I'm doing great, man. Thanks a lot for having me on. Yeah, Excited so, to, to talk with you. Yeah, me too. This is our first time meeting. We have like a bunch of, well, I mean, digital me. This is how people meet now. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we have some mutual friends um, and out in North Carolina. And because um, you train at Jimmo, right? Yes. Yeah. So That's where you, I do all my training for my camps and everything. But you don't live there anymore. Where do you live right now? Or you, you, you no, live I live in uh, Tennessee, right? Yeah, I live right outside Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. And I actually uh, only lived here for three years. Before that, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona and trained out there at the MMA lab. And then yeah. uh, decided you want a lifestyle change and moved. So. Yeah, I wanted to we'll, – we'll get into that because I have some questions about, about that. But you have a family. Yeah. How many kids you got? I got uh, three kids, uh, two older boys and a little girl. Um, a fully functioning farm, right? <laughs> yeah, it's getting there. It's farm. What do you What do you got out there? It's getting there. Uh, we got so we got black Angus for uh, beef cattle, and um, so we have an area fence off of them. We're working on fencing some more and clearing out to make some more pasture. And then uh, we have Nigerian dwarf goats, and we use nice. them for. Uh, there are eventually going to be show goats. Uh, my kids will show them for 4-H, and my wife will show them. And stuff like that too so uh that'll be cool we also use them for milk and we're going to start making uh we're in the process of working on making some butter right now um and starting the process for making some soaps and stuff too so uh we also have a ton of chickens so <laughs> we have chickens eggs and uh we you know sell some eggs and stuff like that too for local people and uh it's great man i love it it's a lot of hard work but um really rewarding yeah, that's sick. A, a buddy of mine out here um, has a bunch of goats, uh, and his wife does the same thing, dude. You know, goat's milk lotion, 
goat cheese, goat butter, yeah. like the whole thing. And I actually went out and, and harvested one with them. And it was, it was one of the craziest experiences of my life. Um, Cause they do the like zero technology thing out there, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. So his kids are just like the coolest little kids. He's got this girl that's like, I think five or six and she's just, the most badass kid you, you'd ever meet, you know, she's like a 30 year old person in a, in a six year old wow. girl, you know? Um, so how did you start fighting? Um, you know, every podcast I do a little intro, so everyone kind of knows what your occupation is, uh, this far into the podcast, but, um, yeah, to just tell me a little bit about your journey of how you found yourself being a professional MMA fighter. All right. Uh, well, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I was pretty heavy set. Um, big kid. Um, so I got picked on quite a bit and, um, got in a lot of scuffles in school fights. Um, my brothers were the same, like they got picked on and stuff too, and got in some fights at school. And, um, you know, we just kind of made our way through school and, you know, dealt with it and everything. And, you know, we were never ones to start fights, but, uh, never one to back down from somebody. And, um, you know, once my mom, I always wanted a box when I was a kid and my mom wouldn't let me. Um, she was against contact sports. I mean, I played soccer, which is yeah, kind of contact, they say. Um, but I guess uh, I couldn't play. I always wanted to play football. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to play football. And um, so me and my brothers, we bought some boxing gloves and we'd box in the backyard and we'd play football, backyard football all the time. And um when I got into high school, I was allowed to play football. So I went and tried out for football. And that was my main focus. Um, I was going to go, I was going to letter my, all, all my years. I was going to go to college, play ball. I was going to go to the NFL, you know, get drafted to go to play in the NFL. That was the dream. And, um, you know, through that, you know, we dealt with people getting picked on and everything like that. So we just kept, you know, pushing through. And then, you know, my focus was mainly football and I focused on that. And uh, I ended up lettering all four years of high school. Uh, I went yeah. from my freshman year uh, straight to varsity and then um, student out for varsity and then lettered the rest of the, also all four years. So um, when my senior year came, though, um, I was kind of, well, I, guess, I guess I found it my junior year. I was watching TV and I found uh, the UFC on TV, mm-hmm. uh, the Ultimate Fighter. I was watching it and I was like, man what the heck is this and started watching and i was like this is awesome like i want to do this like i i'm i love that like how do i start doing that and you know there's nothing really near us at the time we lived in prescott arizona and at the time there was nothing near us so we went to uh you know our own kind of underground fight club kind of thing with my me and my brothers and kids at school whoever wanted to jump in we just bought some mma gloves and you know, put together a little circuit or whatever, and whoever wanted to go we'd match them up and everything. And we even, me and my brother, even ran like this little uh, ultimate fighter thing where me and him would like work with this guy, each have a guy, and then they'd fight at the end of a week or something. <laughs> I mean, we, we all had fun with it. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, there was times we sometimes we'd do it, uh, you know, in a locker room, we'd do it at the park, you know, it was just wherever, you know, okay, you guys are scared to fight, let's figure out a spot and go do it and it was never out of like hate or anything like that it was just you know just having fun and then um my senior year came along and you know there was some issues with uh, my coaches at the time and um I didn't want to 
play. I wasn't going to play my senior year. I wasn't going to play my senior year football. And um, I ended up, you know, uh, it was, to be honest, it was all over a haircut, but uh, sounds, sounds stupid. But at the time, you know, I was like, you know, uh, I know the vibe, sport. dude. High school sports. Yeah, yeah. It was just like I honestly, I had a mohawk, and it was just like, no, we don't do mohawks here. You know, we all need to wear. You need to have the same. You all need to look the same on the sideline. I'm like, well, I have my helmet on. And they're like, well, if you take your helmet off, you have a mohawk. Blah, blah. Anyway, <laughs> so it was dumb, and I was yeah. not. No, I'm not. You know, this. Well, I'm gonna be me, man. I'm not yeah, gonna. You know, try to be like everybody else. So, um, I almost didn't play. My parents were real upset. They wanted me to play, and uh, but my dad understood it, and uh, and my mom. But they were upset, and um, I ended up going, going back and kind of giving them an ultimatum, like telling them, like, listen, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show up with a mohawk come season. I didn't go to any of the training summer camp stuff, and uh, they were threatening me that they were gonna start a. A sophomore over me. What position did you play, by the way? I played middle linebacker. That is a crucial position, dude. <laughs> yeah. Position. So, yeah. So when they told me they were going to play a sophomore over me, I was like, okay, well, we'll see. <laughs> okay, um, run that shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then come like the first week, within the first week when I came, I ended up going with a Mohawk yeah. uh, to practice. And they tried to put him out right away, starting on the practice squad. And, uh, you know, while we're running stuff and, it was got my time to go in. It was just like day, you know, night and day. It was just like, well, you know, I was meant to be there and he wasn't yet, you know? So I got my starting spot and played and actually had the best season I ever had. I got defensive player of the year in Arizona, all state. Oh shit. Um, first team, all state middle linebacker, um, all region middle linebacker. Yeah. So I had a, a big all season. With um, all with Mohawk. Yeah. Love it. And I ended up uh, getting some college offers, but at that time I was fell out of love with football and um, fell in love with MMA and wanted to pursue that 100%. Um, so I decided to not take any of the college offers and to go and pursue MMA. And then, so we moved back to California. My parents uh, had divorced during that time. And so I moved back with my dad and my wife, who was just my girlfriend well my fiance at the time uh she was pregnant with our first son so um i had kids early um i was 19 oh my son was born my wife was 19 so you know i had kids early and we just got into it and we never you know wanted the, us having kids to hold us back from doing anything so whatever we were going to do or wanted to pursue our kids were going to you know come along with the journey and you know experience with us so um that's badass. Not the stance that a lot of people take. There's this kind of, I think, especially with dudes, there's the whole culture around like, oh, you had a kid, dude. That's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I, yeah, that's that's refreshing to hear, man. I think that's so important because that attitude, that's like, that's it. That's all you got to do yeah. is like, nope. Is in is inconvenient as it may be, we're just gonna take our baby. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it was hard at times. You know where. Uh, you know, going out to a restaurant or dinner or whatever and <laughs> throwing a fit or whatever. But, you know, it's like, well, you know, if these people don't understand, then, you know, at some point they will. Either they don't have kids or they will have kids, you know, exactly. and uh, they'll understand it. And, you know, honestly, we got really lucky. We were blessed. Uh, the Lord gave us a, a really pretty 
easy baby, honestly. Um, so for the journey ahead, it was just that. And, you know, I worked full time, my wife worked and, um, we ended up moving to Minnesota. Uh, so we moved to California and we're like, you know, I was looking for a gym and, uh, they were pretty far away, super expensive. California is really expensive. Um, I was traveling an hour just for work. Um, and it was like expensive, (laughs) hard to live. And so her dad lived in Minnesota and he was like, you know, you guys, there's job opportunity out here. Price of living is cheaper. You got, if you guys want to come out, um, I think I can get you a job at this place and everything and it'll work out and you guys can get on your feet and everything. So I was like, cool. So we ended up moving out there and the closest gym when we got there, the closest gym was six hours away. And I was like, this isn't going to work. Like as far as training wise, I got to figure something else out. Um, but we didn't get those jobs. We worked some part-time jobs. My wife is an RN, so she ended up getting a job at the hospital. And then um, luckily, she met some people, and they had some local fighters. They knew some local fighters that trained in the town there, in Thief River Falls and uh, Minnesota. And they trained at a gym in their – they had, like, a garage that was matched down and everything. And uh, it's called the Stomp Factory. And that's where I got started. So I was like, I'm going there. Uh, I'm going to try it out and we're going to train. So I went there and started training. There were a bunch of hard nosed wrestlers. Um, yeah, one man. of the guys Kyle Jensen at the time, he trained, he fought in the WEC, had fought in the WEC. So um, I just started grinding with those guys. And six months later, I had my first amateur fight. And I mean, it was crazy, man. It was just, uh, I loved it. I was in love with it. It was my passion uh, every little bit. And at that time, I didn't even think about the UFC. I didn't even think about like, you know, what it's going to take to get there or anything. It's just like, I'm going to do this. So. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, really that's like the important thing is because like, you know, like I said, when we were messaging, like my really, with this podcast, the only people that I'm intrigued to have on really thus far have been musicians and fighters. Um, and I think the common thread there is what you just said, dude, it's this passion. It's just like, I don't know, man. I didn't think about being where I'm at now when I first started writing songs. I just really fucking loved writing songs, you know? And, yeah. um, and it's one of the few other endeavors that I see people, like you're saying, that they just give their life to. They're like, I don't know, man. There's just this thing in me that says this is what I'm supposed to do. And I think that's the coolest thing in the world. You know, I think that's just, that's what we're here for, man, is to find whatever that thing is that makes us say, I don't know why, but I just want to do this all the time. That's exactly, that's why we're here. <laughs> How'd you, how did you end up back in Phoenix and at the lab? Cause that is a, that's a spot, man. Yeah. Uh, so I was there, I was in Minnesota for three years. Uh, it was just way too cold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like I said, I started fighting there. So I had one amateur fight. That was my amateur fight. Uh, is at 205 uh light heavyweight and then wow. um i had one more fight at light heavyweight and then went to down to 185 pounds at middleweight and then um my second son was born there so three years later we moved back to arizona because we were sick of the cold uh we lived in prescott arizona again we decided to move there um, we had some family there so they could help watch the kids and stuff so we can work and be just easier for us to uh, be able to work and everything and me be able to train. So I found a local gym in Prescott. They had a jiu-jitsu gym at that time and uh, I worked with a CrossFit gym and ended up fighting for a 185 pound title up in North Dakota um, that I trained for there. And at the 
time it was like I was trying to like okay well I want to go to Phoenix uh to try some gyms out you know I hear there's a lot of good gyms down there I want to go try it out and then uh a guy named Eric Prindle walked into the gym one day and said he was a, a Bellator heavyweight champ he was like uh hey you want to come down he trained for a week and was like hey you want to come down and try some gyms with me and I was like yes yes I do so we went down to Phoenix tried some gyms the last gym we went to was the MMA lab and uh, I went in I trained with them and uh, the coach said you know thanks for coming in you know you're welcome back anytime I had a great great vibe with everybody there everybody was really cool I said okay thanks went home as soon as I got home I went I went to my wife and I told her if fighting is what I'm gonna if I'm gonna try to make it in fighting if this is what I'm gonna do I'm gonna really try to make it I need to be at this gym, we need to move to Phoenix. And she's Say, okay, I'll start applying for jobs. Yeah, so awesome. she was an RN, and so it was like, okay, so she started applying for jobs. She got a call the next day for an interview. We went down there, um, and we went down there that Monday. She went, got the, got the job. I went down with her, started training, picked her up, and then, uh, Went back home. It was like an hour drive. So went to bed. Went to, she got the job, so she was going to start the next day. So that I had to go down every day with her. She left at like four in the morning. Went down. My uh, her grandma watched the kids. We went down uh, to Phoenix. She would go to work. I'd drop her off. I'd go look for housing, uh, place for us to stay, and then go to the gym, whatever time training was at, and uh, did that for a week. Sunday came, and we found a house and moved that day. Damn, dude. So who yeah, all, so. who all was at the lab when you were there? Like, I'm a, you know, I've been training for a few years now, but also am just a huge fan of the sport. I'm one of the dudes that, you know, my, I remember watching UFC two on. You remember when TVs used to be on the ground in the big wood wow. boxes? You know, I <laughs> yeah. the dudes that like me and my brother. You know, I was like five, six years old. I remember watching UFC two and just being like, what? you know, and grew up wrestling a little bit, but I'm just a huge fan of the sport. So a, what's hilarious to me is I asked Chase, you know, I was like, so how did you even hear about our music? And I was assuming he was going to be like, Oh man, this girl that I did yoga with. And he was like, no, uh, (laughs) uh, so that, a, that's really interesting to me. But, um, so who was all at the lab when you were there? You know, I'm sure Ben Henderson was there. Uh, Tim Crouch is the coach there still. Yeah. Yeah, John Crouch. John Crouch. John Crouch. And Crouch, then yeah. um, Tim Welch. Tim Welch, he's there. Yep. Uh, so when I got there, it was like um, a lot of the originals were, you know, not really there anymore. Um, we were kind of the beginning of the new originals. But um, it was Benson Henderson and Yachtson Mesa were like the main guys there. They were uh, the studs. And, um, Joe Riggs, Joe Diesel Riggs was there also. Um, he lives up in Escanero. Yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, it's, so the lab <laughs> a weird is interesting. Yeah, the, you know, and, uh, you know, just like, like music, it's kind of a small world once you're in it. The lab is probably the most, like, Montana-affiliated gym, and not just from, from Sean O'Malley, but we, there's a few guys. Um, there's, a, there's a gym up in Missoula. Uh, that's kind of the grindhouse's rival. And there's been a couple of those guys that have gone down there to do camps. Okay. Um, so yeah, <laughs> Montana is real familiar with the lab and now with Sean down there. Yeah. 
Sean, Tim, uh, Frank Ramsey. Those are probably like the th- those are the three big man Montana guys that we have down there yeah. that's been down there for a while. Pretty much since I've got there, they've been there. So mm-hmm. um, they're definitely embedded in there and with the lab. For, so uh, those guys, uh, David Mashad uh, came around the same time I did too, a little bit after. Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's actually he, he lives in here in Knoxville too, so he's not too far from me. And we train together, and he's at Jimmo now too. So the uh, move, was the move to Jimmo just purely a geographic, like you wanted to move to Tennessee? Like how did, how did you decide on a farm outside of Knoxville, Tennessee? Cause it doesn't uh, like you have any roots there. No. And uh, I don't, and my wife doesn't, and we, both of us were never, you know, grew up on a farm or raising animals or around anything like that. So uh, when I was a kid, I guess it started with me. Cause when I was a kid, my grandpa, uh, my my dad's from Columbia and his dad and his uh, mom lived with us when we were young. And um, my grandpa used to tell me stories about Columbia and how he had a farm in Columbia and everything like that. So he'd tell me about all the animals and all the food, all the crops and stuff and tell me about it. And um, I don't know, it just kind of stuck with me, you know? And um, so all, all through, you know, I didn't know how much I wanted it until I got older, but it was something that we started talking about and we kind of started talking about living off grid kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. just wanted to get away and uh, we wanted land and wanted to you know, have animals and few crops and stuff. And we we're just like, you know, get into it. My wife took a little more talking, uh, talking into it. But uh, once we started looking into it more and talking about it, she really fell in love with the idea. And so we're like, okay, well, we're going to buy some land at this time. I'm still, you know, training and fighting. And, and I'm like, well, okay. The biggest thing is leaving the lab. Like I've been there almost my whole career now and, you know, I'm still young in the UFC and wanted to. So how many, how many, how many fights did you have in the UFC under when you were at the lab? um and and how did you get that contract i'm always curious how that works do you just get a call and they're like hey dude we've been noticing you've been slaying people come here yeah so i had well let's start with with that how i got the call well i was um on a seven fight win streak all my wins were by knockout or ko um i think i had at that time when we had like one submission and a decision one decision and then um so I was having trouble. I was like on the doorstep, knocking on the door, you know, matchmakers. And I mean, people with the promotions were sending my fight clips to the UFC, you know, and stuff like that. So I'm like, you know, this kid needs to be signed whatever. Um, but I was having issues. And then I started having a little bit of trouble getting fights. And so I ended up signing with a management team. Um, and then a buddy of mine had got hurt in his title fight or – right before his title fight and need, needed a fill in. So I filled in, uh, it was like a week's notice or two weeks notice, something like that. But, uh, I ended up fighting the guy, finished him in the first round KO and then, um, ended up getting, uh, a call not too long after that was, you know, we got a short notice fight. Do you, uh, can you step in? Do you want to fight? Blah, 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 whoever it is, they gave me the name. I was like, yes, you know, yeah, I'll, let's go. You know, we've been waiting for this call. And so basically they just called my manager, my management team. And, uh, you know, they're out there in their ear constantly, you know, talking to them and stuff. So trying to get me in and 
sure enough, they got the call for a short notice fight. So I got the call to, to step up and go in. That's awesome. And then think that didn't even work out. So I didn't even get to take the short notice fight. I got signed to the UFC, but some things fell apart. So uh, I was still signed to the UFC, but I ended up having to delay my debut and um, uh, but ended up fighting the same guy just a couple few months later. Man. Yeah, yeah it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, Cause that's, I mean, I think that's the dream for every fighter, you know, is, is the UFC, it's the pinnacle of the sport. And it seems like that's always kind of the way is that it's like, you know, you're just like, boom, here's your chance. Don't mess up. Um, you know, mm -hmm. and it really puts people on the spot of like, okay, well you gotta, you know, yeah, here's your window. Um, and that's good. You rose to the occasion. I want to talk a little bit about a couple of your fights. Um, some things that I like uh, as a fan, A, uh, that you look like a normal person. Um, I'm a big fan. Like, uh, I remember that Sage Northcutt fight. I remember yeah. watching that with my kid. And he was like, oh, man. You know, and I was like, dude, just because somebody looks like an action figure doesn't mean they're going to win a fight. You know, like, yeah. this shit only goes so far. Um, you have a, there's kind of a, uh, a zen nature to the way that you fight. Uh, that I can see you kind of let dudes run their program and, and, and pop off a little bit and see what they're going to do and be like, Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I can roll with this. Um, and in that Sage fight, that was really, it, it was this first round of just kind of like, yeah, man, throw your shit. He's kind of smiling and talking a little shit. And, um, <laughs> and then the, from, I mean, the first minute of that second round until you finish him with the most unique arm triangle I've ever seen in my life. Um, yeah, you could really see that you would kind of like, okay, show me your shit. And then second round was like, okay, scene, you know, and here's my shit, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I really like yeah. that. Um, yeah, talk a little bit about that. You seem really, um, you don't seem amped. You seem really relaxed, like you, you want to be there and you're not nervous or scared to be there. Is that true or is that just a flow state thing that you get into when you're in there? No, I mean, actually, that, that is true. Um, you know, it's, it's weird because when I was a kid, I used to get so nervous about fighting, um, getting into fights and just getting into conflict. Um, wasn't big on conflict at all. So it was just like weird. And then I don't know, I guess from training and, and doing it all, like when I worked, when I lived, fought in that small gym and stuff or training in that small gym uh, in Deep River Falls, it was just like, you know, we sparred every day. Um, and then, you know, at the lab, you know, you work with those high level guys and everything and you're sparring with them and training with them. And, um, it just came to where it wouldn't affect me. Like I just, when I started fighting, it was just like, okay, I'm training for this. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And I just was more excited and, and I'm not, I'm not scared going in. Like I'm okay with whatever's going to happen. If I'm going to get knocked out, well then. I got knocked out and it was my, you know, that's what it was supposed to happen. The cards laid down that way, but I was going to do, I'm going to do everything I can to, to win this fight and go as hard as I can. So, um, like leading up to the fight, I'm not nervous or anything. I'm real relaxed. And honestly, I feel like there's more, more on my shoulders before I step into the octagon. Like as soon as I step in, I feel like relief. I feel like, weight's been taken off my shoulders kind of like fuck like here it is yeah like everything's gone i get to just be me like i get to go out there and just show what i got and i've trained so hard for this and you know and 
training, you're not trying to hurt the, the guy. You're not trying to, yeah. you know, you're trying to win, but you're not trying to, you know, hurt him or anything like that. And it's not really like a, you know, do or die kind of situation. So in fighting, when you step in there, it is that guy's trying to take your head off. He's trying to put you to sleep, you know? So yeah, it's that's, just like, that's a, that's an interesting component, man. So you know, I spar a regular amount when the gym is open, you know, and I have a, I have a training partner that is absolute ninja. Um, that's the same exact body type. There's been literally days where to the ounce we've weighed in the same wow. reach. Yeah, it's nuts. Um, and he is uh, light years better than me. But the trade-off is there is when we're sparring, he kind of has his settings, right? Where he's like, okay, yeah. I'm going to match you. You know, I'm going to hit you, but I'm not. And I think about that all the time with, with you guys that do this for a living is like, I love training. I'm passionate about training. And, you know, and, and, and in jujitsu, you do. You get to go 100% because the tap player to save a life. Um, but with the striking and stuff like that, every time I get done sparring, I'm like, damn, dude, what if Mikey just let the dogs out one day? <laughs> it was just like, I'm going to act like a and it's just like the most frightening thing in the world. And like, you know, and I feel like that is the, you know, the obvious difference between uh, training and what you guys do is, um, you know, my professor, he said, he said that all the time where he's like, the thing that he loved most about getting in the cage was that same thing was that feeling of authenticity of like, I get to 100% do it right now. And most of the time I'm like subduing this thing and I'm about to be celebrated for doing it. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, man, you've had some, so you fought at lightweight, welterweight and heavyweight. Is that true? Uh, Lightweight, welterweight, uh, middleweight and light heavyweight. Yeah. God damn, dude. How did you, what, what was the differences between those things and how the hell did you, (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Uh, well, when I started, you know, it was, I mean, I was just really big and, um, you know, was losing weight, but not really, uh, you know, I was eating whatever I wanted doing it, you know, yep. just really enjoying the process and was like, well, what I'm just going to amateur fight. I was like, well, I'm not going to cut any weight, you know, it's just go in whatever I weigh and that's what I'll fight at. And so I did and it was okay. And then I went to uh my pro first pro fight at light heavyweight and i was you know i was already at that point i had been training longer and everything so i was losing weight and i started to lose weight and start thinning out so when i weighed in i weighed in with pants on uh you know jacket pockets full even stuff in my uh jacket pockets and i think i weighed 204 and oh wow uh, the guy came in you know he weighed in at 206 because i was the cutoff but he had cut from 235 he was a big boy and he wrestled at uh, North Dakota State. So it was just like, all right, well, you know, after this one, I'll probably go down, but I got to beat this guy first. And I ended up knocking him out in the first round. And, um, dude, I mean, there's no, there's no feeling that matches, you know, winning a fight in, you know, devastating fashion, like knocking someone out or even submission, whatever. Just finishing someone, man, is just uh, – it, the rush the is amazing it's just there's nothing like it but so after that i went to 185 i actually fought 185 for the longest time uh till i got to the mma lab and i walked in and john crouch asked me what weight 
what I fought at. And I said, I fought at 185. I'm thinking maybe I'll eventually go to welterweight, go to 170. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no. he's like, you're a, you're a 155er. You're a lightweight. Oh, I was like, what? I'm like what? And he's like, I was like, I mean, I said maybe 170. And he's like, no, he's like, look at Benson, you know, Benson fights 155. You know, we have these other guys, big guys fight 155 and they cut down. I'm like, Man, I don't know. I'll try. I guess I'll I'll start trying. So, from when I got to the lab, I fought uh, 170, 165, and then the fight that I took all that my buddy had that title fight that yeah he fell out. I took that and I took it at 155. Is my first 155 fight, and um, the guy that I was fighting against wanted to to do a catch weight the week or I think it was like a few days before. Uh, weigh-ins and I was like no like I just I have to make the weight I have to make 155 I have to do it because when I get signed when the UFC calls I gotta know that I've made it so I did he came in overweight he came over six pounds overweight I made him 155 and then I went in there that's pro that's a pro move so and then I fought two in the UFC at 155 and then it was like and at that time actually you could IV so I would weigh oh, in, you right. know, and you get IV and get your fluids all in you, and you know you feel good and hydrated. And man, I mean, before I hit the scale, and it used to be they didn't do have morning weigh-ins. You'd show up, you'd walk, wait till four o'clock, six o'clock in the oh, afternoon, yeah. get on the scale, and just like sucked up. You had cut all the weight, you know, and it's just like. So like for people this. listening, a lot of our, a lot of uh, the listeners are kind of new to this thing, and that's kind of my. Uh, my idea of a it's something that I'm really passionate about, so I want to share it with our fans. But um, for people that don't know, it's really common. Well, it's not really common. It's pretty much standard practice um, that people are cutting substantial weight to get to a weight class. So, like he said, you know, for a bigger guy, he weighed in at 205 with a jacket on, and the other guy, you know, cut 30 pounds. But as crazy as it sounds, you can cut a sub, you know, 20 pounds of water off your body. And then put it back yeah. on at 24 hours, especially if you have an IV. Um, yeah. What What are the benefits of doing that, Brian? Uh, you know, they say that you know the benefits are size and strength. You know, that you're going against, you're coming in as a bigger guy, stepping in the cage. Which you know, in some points, it's true. Like you're the heavier guy for sure. Um, you know, maybe you're the bigger guy for sure. But um, it's always so seems the benefits crazy because like everyone does it though. So yeah, it's yeah i always i'm kind of on the page now at this point where it's like you know this is just my opinion that it's like fuck man what if you just talk to each two guys that are gonna fight and be like hey man instead of you each cutting 25 pounds we're gonna say it's a 155 fight and y'all can just weigh 170 175 you know what i mean (laughs) here's your window that you can weigh we'll just call it this and do that you know well you Um, know that's the thing is people you know they're cutting the weight because they want to be the bigger guy but now they're realizing you see more and more people moving up weight classes Yep, um, and they're feeling better than they were, having had more success than they were even before, just because they're at a healthier weight and everything. Cow- and I feel like Cowboy was a, was a, was absolutely that man. Once he quit cutting down to fifty five, he just started looking, yeah, good, like healthy man. There was a couple fights that, that Cowboy had where, like, right before the fight would start, when the camera would pan on him when he was pacing, be like, "Damn, son, you just <laughs> look sick. <laughs> you know, you don't look good." Connor too. Yeah. He's another one that like, oh, yeah. when he was at 55, you were just like, oh my God, dude, 
you know. I know. It was crazy. Yeah, they cut. I mean, when I fought, well, since I got the Sage fight on short notice, I cut 20 pounds in eight days. Ugh. What's badass about that Sage fight, too, is so at that time, for everyone listening, Sage Northcutt, uh, Google him so you can see what he looks like as a human being. It's pretty outrageous. He literally looks like a Ken doll. Um, But at the time, he was undefeated, and the hype around this kid was unreal. It was like he is the next big thing. He is unstoppable. He was 8-0 at the time. Um, And the fact that you took that fight on short notice um, and I, you know, you were a huge underdog in that fight, but to yeah. me, even towards the end of the first round when he was going for takedowns for me, what I, what I always am looking at is facial expressions. You didn't look at the clock. You didn't look concerned. You kind of were just like, Oh, okay, cool, man. I feel you. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, well, going into that fight, it was like in my head, I know I knew I was like, okay, He's going to be explosive. He's going to be fast. Um, you know, he's going to come in hard. He's probably going to go for takedowns too. I said, he's going to get the first round because I took it on short notice and he's yep. super explosive. And, you know, I didn't have my timing or anything. So I was like, well, he's going to get the first round. Not a big deal. As soon as I start hitting him, he's going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to hurt me. He's not going to be able to hurt me because I didn't think he could. And he didn't. Like, he hit me and just none of his punches hurt. And he took me down. I knew I'd get right back up and I did. And honestly, um, you know, I started feeling my groove in the second and it was like in my head going into that fight, I was like, I'm going to put him away at the end of the second or the, in the beginning of the third, I was going to knock him out. That was, that's how I saw it. And then like, I don't really take people down. If you watch my fights, I don't shoot yeah. takedowns or anything. Um, and he had thrown a, he went for an elbow missed and then threw like a, a wheel kick and fell over and um i was like well i guess i get on top of him and beat him up some at least prop him up and uh you know the, just the submission opened up I, I get that submission i go for it quite a bit i have just like a awkwardly weird uh squeeze from that position and i get in got in the room quite a bit so it was like as it went i went for it and it slid right in and i was like okay well i got this he's gonna go to sleep he doesn't yeah tap, right so. <laughs> that head down and moved his arm i was like uh-oh and then I saw him too. Yeah. too. It was like, he wasn't struggling to breathe, dude. He was not getting blood to his brain. Like you could just see right, right where your yeah. mind was. But <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, dude, your brain definitely is going to need some blood. <laughs> it's going to keep moving. Um, yeah, yeah, dude, you got some freaking dynamite in your hands, dude. Uh, another fight that I actually just watched uh, recently. I watched a few. I've seen, I've seen all your, all your fights at the UFC. Uh, but once I knew I was going to have you on, I went and, uh, and rewatched some. And I remember that Proctor fight. That was another one, man, where, that, where he wanted that heat. And you're like, okay. Yeah, he kept putting his hands up like, like, like hit me, hit me. And you threw a lead hook, which is usually an entrance into a power shot. It's kind of like, oh, I'm going to use this to change an angle. And you hit him with, uh, with a lead <laughs> he hook and he fell down and you could see the worry on his face uh and the fight was done about 15 seconds after um what is uh what's the big difference um you know i've never been to the lab um every time i'm in phoenix i always go to black flag jiu-jitsu um a friend of mine owns it uh remarkable place and just real focused on the grimy no-gi game you know it's like catch a lot of catch wrestling in there but pretty mma based no-gi um 
but I definitely will be going to the lab now. Um, but tell me about Jimmo and the huge difference there. Cause that place I train on tour all the time. It's like my, one of my favorite things of being on tour is, you know, I, I, I know a lot of fighters now uh, because of the yeah. music and how it's connected. So that's like my ultimate, to me, that's like the coolest let's hang out ever is it's just like, yo dude, show me your gym. I'd like to meet your people. Let's train. Absolutely, yeah. And, uh, and when we were in North Carolina, I had three days off. So I did two days in a row, two full days at Jimmo from, you know, nine yeah. in the morning until well after lunch. Um, and just and that's really, that's honestly really cool that you, you know, you, you do that and that you did that, uh, you know, come hang out at the gyms, go try out the gyms. Um, you know, I know that everybody was stoked to have you and uh, have you in the room and, and be able to you know, help you out and be able to train with you. Really yeah. privileged. Yeah, man. I mean, for me, it's like the ultimate privilege because I know a lot, I have a lot, a lot of friends that aren't in the same position as me. And when they travel, they go into gyms and they aren't really welcomed necessarily the same way. There's kind of that like, who's this guy? Yeah. Or like, you know, when you're brought in and, you know, the dudes at the gym are like, hey, he's a friend of ours. There's this yeah. like, oh, OK, cool. So this is going to be mellow. But, you know, I really enjoy a I learn a bunch of shit. You know, because yeah. like different places, there's different takes on everything, um, especially from Jeff Jimmo, man, the way that guy teaches. Like, I literally remember every single lesson from that day. Yeah. Like the wrestling class, the Muay Thai. Like, I remember everything we worked on both of those days. Um, talk a little bit about that, because he's a guy that, man, I would love to freaking chop it up with, man. He is a, he's an interesting cat. He is... Man, he's he's Yoda. He's the totally. He is a he's so smart and he knows so much. It's it's just uh, every time you know you talk to him, you feel like you're just getting scraping the surface of of everything he knows. Especially when it comes to you know mixed martial arts and training and everything. It's like his knowledge and how he studies. He studies everything, you know, and goes deep into it. And uh, he's competed at uh, multiple you know wrestling at high level and uh jiu-jitsu and, and muay thai and i mean he's he's pretty much done a little bit of it all just so he he knows you know he's not just trying to teach it because he saw it you know he's teaching it because he's done it and um he's amazing man he's a genius um he really yeah, it's is really interesting too one thing that i noticed and it could have just been the two days i was there but everything is really wrestling at the center yeah well yeah i, I mean wrestling is a huge a huge key for um, MMA. It's like definitely the best probably starting point you can have if you're going into or wanting to get into mixed martial arts is have a wrestling background. I mean, wrestlers can control jiu-jitsu guys, you know, and, you know, take down strikers and stuff like that. So it really helps a lot. And even if you're not, say you're not like I'm me, I didn't start with wrestling or, or anything really. Uh, it was just, you know, you're still dealing with wrestling all the time because you're going to fight people who want to try to take you down. So you got to learn how to defend it, and, you know, counteract it. So it's, it's constantly always there. Dude, you know what I think is going to be a wild thing to see is because you're, how old are you? 30? Yeah, I'll be 31 next weekend. Nice. Okay. So I'm 32. So you and I are, are the same age. So we kind of have grown up watching MMA being the, okay, this is a kid that grew up wrestling and then he's been training for the last two years or he was a boxer and then he learned some wrestling and jujitsu. And I think what's going to be a trip is I would guess probably in five years, 
we're going to start seeing kids that are, oh yeah, when I was eight, I started doing Muay Thai and Jiu-Jitsu and then I also wrestled every fall and winter. <laughs> yeah. And you know, oh, I for sure. it's thinking about where scary, it's going to go because, and I mean, just at our gym alone, like our kids program, we have this kids program called the Little Grinder program and they do everything, take down defense. Like they, it's MMA, it's MMA for kids, you know? Yeah. Um, and they don't spar and stuff like that. But like, I just think about when that kid hits, you know, 19 years old and is like, okay, cool. My testosterone's through the roof. I put on some weight. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's going to be scary. Cool to, to, to really see it, you know? Um, and maybe even, you know, maybe I'll still be a part of it. Hopefully. Um, yeah, you're you know, young, man. You got time. But, so, uh, how old yeah. are your kids and do your kids wrestle or do any any combat sports um so when i was at the lab my kids did train they did uh some the muay thai they did some boxing and the main focus was uh they didn't want to do jiu-jitsu but uh our main focus was wrestling and i wanted to get the the boys into wrestling uh, my daughter's never done any of it but they all have been in the gym since they were born um so, well, I guess my oldest, you know, off and on, but once he got a certain age, I think he was four or five, um, he had been in the gym every day because I ended up, when it was time to start pursuing fighting full time, I ended up quitting my part-time job. I worked at Chipotle <laughs> and, uh, you know, but the amount we we're paying in daycare wasn't comparable to what I was making at Chipotle. And so my wife was the, the breadwinner and, you know, really held it down for us and supported us and still does. So yeah, helps that and everything. But yeah, so the kids have been in the gym. I'd go there, lay some crackers down, you know, snacks for them, watch them yep. put a little tag. I love that. <laughs> That's another thing that I, people that aren't around the sport don't know. I have yet to go to a gym, regardless of where it is in the country. Someone has their kids there. Somebody's wife is there. Yeah. The environment is is really pretty family friendly, um, you know. And a lot of gyms rely heavily on their kids program to make money, yeah. so it is an important thing for it to be a family friendly environment. It isn't. It's just not what people think it is, and I think there's a. Um, there's even like a misconception about wrestling as kind of this brutal sport, but the things that I think are really beautiful about combat sports in general, especially wrestling for a kid is there's a feeling that comes when you win a soccer game and it's like, yes, we did it. Um, yeah. When you win a wrestling match, it is 100%. I just did that. I put in the hard work. I listened in practice. I drilled and I came out here and I executed what I was supposed to do. There was no bad refing. There was no nothing. I was better than that person today. And I won. And then on the other hand, of being able to accept that loss of like, yes, I'm not as good as the person that I just competed against. He is better yeah. than, you know, and there's such a, the bleed over from that in the adult consciousness and, and how that relates positively to how one approaches life with the ability to take us, not a team loss, not a team win, but a soul loss and a soul win of like, yeah, man, I fucked up. And now there's consequences for that. And I feel bad, but the only thing I can do is go back to the drawing board, work harder, get better, try again. Absolutely. You know, I think that's something that's such a missing component in society now where everybody, 
not everybody, but, but I think one of the biggest thing that plagues our society is this, there's a real lack of accountability and there's a lack of desire to be better. Yeah. Yeah. No, people don't want to do the work to, to get better. They just want to be better. Yeah. And, and exactly. Yeah. And that's exactly it. And, um, you know, everyone's mm. looking for the, for the magic thing. And I, the one thing that I see common and then pretty much everyone I know that does combat sports is whether they're an engineer or a farmer or whatever, that, that work is at the center of their, their thing and discipline, you know, and that's, that's two things with me, you know, I have a lot of, there's kind of a lot of ethereal themes in the early music, but at the end of the day, for me, the reason I am where I am is because I've been so disciplined and focused on what I want to do. And I work my ass off, you know, yeah. and everything I do is with the greater good of my family and mind. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. I hear you, man. That's, I mean, my family is the most important thing to me. That's for sure. Um, everything I do is for them. So yeah. yeah. And, really it. and, you know, again, like I said, I think the huge parallel between you and I are, are you know, any artist, you know, whether you're a martial artist, a music artist, you know, a graphic, yeah. whatever, is that have worked hard enough, worked hard enough to make your passion what takes care of your family. Like what? Fuck the American dream, dude. That is the everything dream. Yeah. That, that, to find that thing that is, I don't know why I want to do this, but I must. Yeah. And that be the thing that provides for your family. Like, that's why we're here, man. That's. Well, I totally <laughs> that's agree. Totally agree. Uh, so I, I have, when I interview musicians or rather have musicians on the podcast, I have these set of standard questions uh, that I ask them. And then I've kind of made a new set of standard questions uh, for combat sports athletes. And I, and I went to our fans and said, Hey, if you could ask a UFC fighter, so questions, what would they be? So I want to get into some of those and get your takes on them. Uh, one, okay. this question is for me. Um, do you have a morning ritual? Because ritual is super huge for me when I'm, when I'm home. Well, and when I'm on the road, the ritual just looks different. But what's your, what's your morning like? My morning is, is really just getting up, checking the animals on the farm. Um, you know, my kids are getting up. They're, right now we're homeschooling. So uh, it's like getting them up. Letting them sleep in a little bit longer just so, you know, because they're home or whatever. So let them sleep in. Usually my little girl and my oldest are up and at them and they're ready to get right to it and get it done. So um, when they get started with work from with my wife, I go out, I check on the animals, you know, let the chickens out of the run and check on the dogs, make sure that everything's okay. Our guardian dogs, you know, good with the, um, the goats and everything's all doing good and just kind of. Then I come back and we all, you know, we'll have our breakfast together and stuff and um, kind of get started for the day and kind of plan out what, okay, what we're going to tackle today. So um, training wise, it's a little bit different um, when I'm in camp and stuff like that. It's, it's usually like, okay, wake up, get downstairs, eat some breakfast, um, get your bag packed. You know, we're going to the gym. We're leaving early. We're getting to the gym. We're going to start our conditioning work and then uh, get right into our sessions. So um, it's a little training wise it's it's pretty strict and scheduled every single day it's, it's very similar to the same um, the only thing that makes a difference is really um, what we're going over that day and um, what the amount of food that I'm going to be consuming that day mm -hmm. um, at home it's more of uh, we're gonna you know we're gonna work on different projects there's a lot going on um, what we're gonna work on I like to put you know I like to make time so you know, not only my kids have some 
time to just have with me like okay you know we're going to make some time today we're going to do whatever you know tevio wants to do or we're going to do whatever chael wants to do or digan wants to do we're going to do whatever they want to do whatever they want to play we're going to play whatever we're going to do they're going to do and then you know we also have our farm work so it's kind of like okay well we'll take breaks in between the farm work and do that when you guys are done with school so um, it just kind of varies every day but there's always something new to do or continue working on the farm here so it's we it's usually cool come and, based around the family too, it seems like uh, absolutely you know and that's that's a huge thing why we you know we wanted the farm you know i wanted it of course because of when i was a kid i remember hearing about it but uh, it was really the move ultimately was because of you know our family and we wanted our kids to grow up in a different environment a different lifestyle and really see um you know be out of the city be out of all that and uh just kind of get some life skills um on a farm and and enjoy all the time with like the different animals and experience some new things and uh really bring us closer together honestly yeah and that appreciation for for a land and also what goes into food man to me that you know i hunt and that's uh you know it's something that i think a lot of people don't recognize there's a lot of people out there eating meat that have never harvested it and it's uh you have a whole different appreciation and respect for it when you've you know partaken in the process of the circle of life um what is something that you've uh that you've learned during fighting and training that that directly translates to other areas of your life um during fighting and training um it's just well, it goes back to, like you said, the, uh, the amount of, of work you put in and everything, the being committed and everything, it transfers over to, to life. You know, if you stick with something and you give it your all and you constantly push and there's going to be ups and downs, whether it's, you know, like losing fights, winning fights, um, getting injured in the training room and, you know, having to be out of fights and stuff like that, uh, puts you in bad situations. Um, and you're constantly being put in bad situations in the training room. You know, people get you in rough spots that you have to work your way out of. So I believe that even just not only fighting wise, training wise, um, it helps train you to be able to work through tough situations. Yep. And, uh, you know, even in everyday life, like you're going to get in tough spots, and you're going to be able to find your way through it. And I think training and fighting helps you do that even in and- regular life. That is probably the biggest reason for my addiction to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, man, is the, the way that I've seen it transform how I handle conflict and hardship. Like, I just don't even – we were in Aspen a few months ago, and the transmission went out. And I remember, like, I couldn't even force myself to react. I was like, well, nobody's going to get hurt. Like, everybody's safe. So, I mean – this isn't even a problem. It's a fucking inconvenience is what this is. Um, you know, the, an analogy that I always use is, especially for people, just because I've seen a lot of quiet, um, reserved kind of people start training jujitsu and then watching how their personality develops when they're in there. And they're able to speak yeah. their mind and really like hold their own in a conversation. Because I always, I always have this, this thing that I revert back to, which at the very extreme of human interaction at a 10 is violence. Okay, we're fighting. That's a 10. So if you were backwards from that, even a verbal argument or disagreement is still like a five or a six. Yeah. So I mean, if you are pra- constantly practicing how to stay calm, collected, and think through a 10, you know, one through nine, yeah. fucking cakewalk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Here is a, here's a question. This is from a good buddy of mine, um, Shane, who's my boxing coach. Um, Shane was on his way up, had a crazy amateur career. Um, you know, definitely a fucking plant his feet and bang kind of fighter. Um, and was two and one pro and then was training down in Florida, got clipped, knocked out. Long story short, got his brain checked out while he was down there at the, or at the, uh, you know, the insistence of, of one of the coaches down yeah. there and was told you can't fight anymore. So he wanted me to ask, how do you mitigate in sparring? Cause I think a lot of Shane's was from full on fucking slug fest in the gym. We had a couple guys when I first started training there that were 185 ish that were just yeah. fucking Greek gods. Uh, and one was a boxer and one was, uh, you know, an MMA guy that really liked to box. And then there was Shane and these guys would just smash each other. Um, so how yeah. do you, how do you kind of mitigate um, those risks? Uh, you know, that's, it's changed a lot um, through my career, honestly, in the beginning, like I said, I, you know, in the, the small gym, I sparred every day, every day. And it wasn't light sparring by any means. Uh, it was, you know, I'm taking your head off kind of sparring. So, sure. uh, you got head gear. You know, but I didn't have head gear. On, you know, it was like no head gear, nothing. So it was like, uh, you know, but I think, I mean, head gear. Yes. If you wear head gear when you spar um, you should wear head, head gear. I still do not, but, uh, I don't <laughs> wear like head gear when you spar. I recommend it. Wear head gear. And it sucks at first cause you're going to get hit way more than you normally do. And that's the most frustrating part about it. And um, you feel like your head movement's off, everything's off, and it will be for the longest time. But once your body, you start adjusting to it, it's just going to make it that much better because um, you're going to be slipping out of the way with an extra inch, you know? Yeah, So that's a good point. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the benefit for sure. It just, you have to get through the frustrating part. Um, but then, you know, I, I, and then I went to the lab and you know honestly i just i liked to spar so it was like i was the fill-in for everybody it didn't matter what weight you were heavyweight uh, i sparred with heavyweights i gave heavyweights work for camps and um you know same thing and um honestly my first experience uh with any i've never had a concussion or anything uh, that i know of and then um but you you've never knocked out no, I've never been knocked out. No, I've had concussions, but I've never been fully out. And, um, but, uh, I went to, I was at the MLA lab and I ended up getting head kicked in the middle of a round. And, uh, I don't remember the head kick. I just remember I was sparring and then all of a sudden I'm outside of the cage and I'm standing there next to talking to somebody. It was like, I completely just woke up. Yeah. It was like lost. Like what the heck? And I, you know, I started asking him questions and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? What's up? And he's like, you've asked me the same, like three questions, like 20 times. I was like, I have? He's like, yeah. And then I started rolling out the questions again, you know, the same three questions. And he's like, so a doctor checked me and he's like, yeah, I think you have a little concussion or whatever. And I was like, well, did I get knocked out? Like what happened? They're like, well, no. And like me, meantime, like, I'm asking these questions. So people are coming up to me and great job. Way to go. Blah, blah, good, good work. I'm like, thanks. Like what? Oh man. No, I end up, I end up make, I end up dropping the guy and he got so mad that he 
walk. I dropped him with a body kick, and you know, getting so mad, he ran out of the cage and left, left the gym. Um, and it was just like, you know, Benson came up to me and was like, "Yeah, you know, that's that's what you do. You work like that." And well, you know, I'm like, "Okay." okay. You know, I, I had no idea, you know. And luckily, someone had taken film, and when you know, I later see I took a head kick and you know went black there and finished the round and everything finished was fine walked out everything but i had yeah i had a concussion i was blacked out for that whole time and uh but there's been you know i sparred and you know i took time off and the, the important part is making letting your head rest and yeah uh ended up learning more uh in depth about that later because i ended up getting a real bad concussion and um yeah, it's a wild thing. Here's these stories. You know, I'm a huge boxing fan too. Um, and can you hear me? Yeah, I'm just having issues here. My thing's oh weird. Glitched out for a second. Um, yeah, I'm a huge boxing fan, and I remember uh, there's this fucking killer HBO documentary about the Mickey Ward Arturo Gatti trilogy. Okay. And in the second and third fight, each of them have a story of. I forget which fight it is, but Arturo Gotti's like, he threw a left hand in the second round and I came back in the eighth round. Doesn't remember rounds two through seven. And you look back and he looked fucking great. You know what I mean? He looked, he looked his his, literally his unconscious autopilot is being a world-class boxer. You know, it's just like the most. See, that's the thing is that's what we're training for, you know, is to be able to perform in any situation, you know, whatever situation we get put in, whether it's a rough one or not. We're training our first reactions to be, you know, to counter whatever they're doing and to fight back, you know. So, so do you, the fact you that we go on do you mitigate sparring a little bit now? I do now, yeah. Yeah, I actually don't even uh, – I rarely spar through camp at all. Um, I spar a little bit, and it's usually – if it is, it's once a week, and it's uh, it's even, like, not even that, that bad. And I cut it off, like – you know, if I do spar, like last fight or last couple fights, I didn't even spar. Like I sparred maybe once or twice the whole camp. And, um, you know, I ended up since the Proctor fight, actually right before the Proctor fight, I had a bad concussion or whatever. And so the Proctor fight, I didn't spar that whole camp. I think maybe once or twice. And then uh, after that, since then I haven't got it out pretty early on in that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, even the Luke Vicente fight, like, yep. I didn't spar really at all for that uh, that fight. You know, yeah, it's, it's good, it's man. Because I, I, think, I think for longevity and just like after, you know, after fighting, I, I just really like when I meet fighters that have it together because there's guys that have taken different routes, man. And, and no disrespect whatsoever. I think Tony Ferguson is like, the, he's one of the most badass dudes on the planet, but there are those dudes that you can be like, yeah, man, it takes about 30 seconds of listening to you talk to, yeah. to know, yeah. know that, you, that you got a little stew brewing up there, man. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, that's great, man. And and I think it just mitigates because even me, dude, like I said, I'm doing super light sparring and I've got caught with stuff in the gym where I zigged when I should have zagged and hit, you know, ran into something that yeah. was coming at 50%, but because I ran into it, it like gives you that, uh, like someone just shined a flashlight in your eye and you're like, yeah, you know, just kind of lose it for a second. For sure, yeah, that's we'll good, start. man. I, think, yeah. I feel like that's the future too of the sport is hearing that across the board of people being like, "Yeah, dude, I don't even." Well, speaking of that, Tony Ferguson, he's like, "Yeah, dude, I don't spar anymore. I just wait until it's time to fight." Um, yeah. 
what is a, what's a piece of advice that you would give an up and coming fighter that's young that, that is, you know, has made the decision. This is the thing that makes me happy and this is what I want to do. Um, doesn't happen overnight. Doesn't happen overnight. Um, you know, you're, especially when you're coming up and you, you have to work or anything. It's like, you know, everything is, well, I got all this stuff that I need to do and everything show up. That's the biggest thing is showing up, show up every day, day in, day out, be committed, be dedicated, show up. That is the absolute biggest thing. And that will be out most people who want this because everybody says they want it and then they just can't make it to the gym. And, you know, there's cases where, yeah, you're, you know, working full-time job and everything. And, you know, I've been there and you just got to make the adjustments. Um, whether you make, you can't make the pro practice, you better make every practice that's after work. You can't make, you know, you can have a day off. My computer's going crazy. Still sound good. Okay. Um, if you can't, you know, you have the day off, you better get to the gym and make that pro practice. You know, it's just uh, showing up is the biggest thing. And people tend to not, you know, do it even though their day off, they're too tired. They're too, you know, they got too much going on. Um, they had a bad day. The thing is, is, you know, at, at the end of the day, you need to ask yourself, did you really do all you could to do this? Like if you want it that bad, did you really do everything you could to get to it? Yes. yes. Yeah, man. And, uh, the parallels. This is why. This is why I'm having fighters on the podcast, man, because I can relate to that so fucking much. When I was first starting, so when I first decided, like, okay, I'm gonna do this. My initial thing was, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and do music. I'm gonna give it everything I have for a year, and if in a year it doesn't look like I'm making substantial progress, then I'll call it. You know, I'll become a fucking history teacher or something. And dude, that sounds. Awesome familiar to me uh with yeah. fighting yeah like i had my kids and it was like you know i had my two kids and i was before i went to lab i had two losses and that's when i lost my second fight i told my wife if i lose another one i'm gonna have to because at that point i knew more about the ufc you know you know losses and wins mattered like you know you need to have if you lost basically you better set yourself back five wins because yeah. you know that's how they looked at it there wasn't as much opportunity as there is now to get in the ufc so it was like well if i'm not gonna if i lose another one i'm not gonna i'm gonna have to go look for a job that's going to be able to support us and and everything like i'll find something to do and do this as like a side gig if i can and I didn't lose another fight till I got in the UFC. Do you feel like, for me, I always felt like, you know, for me, it wasn't the gym. I still have this piece of paper that I've had for six years. It says, stay focused, work hard, trust the process, and pray. And I, I look Whoa. at it every single morning. And, and I remember, so how I would go on my first tours is I would work, and then I'd save up, you know, so after every six months, I got something like a week and a half or two weeks of vacation time. So I would stack my days off for the front end and back end work week and then put my time off in the middle. So I'd be like, okay, cool. I can go on a 17-day tour and go play for fucking nobody. You know, I'm playing three-hour bar gigs. But I just kept I, – I was fighting a day job. I was like, either I'm going to have a normal life 
which is the scariest thing in the world to me. Or I'm yeah. going to work harder than everyone because I'm not the best singer. I'm not the best guitar player in the world, but I'll outwork fucking anybody. No problems. And that's something that I see with fighters at your level that, that were like, yeah, dude, I didn't fucking feel good, but I went to the gym anyway. You know, yeah, I only get one day off a week, but I didn't take it. I went and put that work in because I wanted to, here's where I wanted to be. Here's where I was. And I've always just said like, you know, if I've always just had this, this mentality of when I would get to a place where I felt like quitting, I would always have this aha of like, Ooh, this is when most people would quit. So if I make it past this hurdle, then I already just, I just thin the herd by 50%. And just, you keep doing that as you move forward, as you get to those hard places where normal people would quit. You're like, well, I'm not a normal person, so I'm not going to quit. You yeah. know, and it, and, it, and it essentially, it siphons out success, man. That's really it. As tacky as it is, if you don't fucking quit, that's it. Exactly. That's it. Yeah. Man, the mind is, is a powerful thing. I mean... Like you said, it's like, I just, you know, if I needed to be stronger, it was like, okay, I'm going to do all I can to work to get stronger. If I need to be faster, I need to work on this. You know, I'm going to give it my all. It's, I'm not the, even, even still my, some of my training partners say that I'm the, the least athletic athlete that I've ever met, you know, like I'm clumsy and, you know, not really don't have the most exposure, you know, and everything and maybe not be able to do things, but I make them work for me. And, um, you know, it's just because I'm in my head, I'm going to be, I'm going to do whatever it takes to be successful. And if that's making the adjustments where they're going to work for me and making the things, you know, make me better, that's what I'm going to do. Hell yeah. So a saying we have in our house that me and my wife made up and, um, you know, working on a, a brand with it, but it's uh, something that we kept to ourselves for a long time, but it's, it's DCTB. And it stands for uh, dream, commit, train, believe. And it's what we basically live by and basically tell ourselves when I get in rough spots or, uh, um, you know, I'm struggling or there's something we want to do, but we're unsure of it's, it's DCTV because, you know, it all first starts with the dream. And then in order to make that dream, you got to commit to it and yep. you got to train for it and you got to train, whether it's mentally or physically, you got to train for it. You got to learn the crafts. And then you always believe because without the belief, none of it's going to happen. So yeah. that's what it is for us, man. And uh, constantly living by that. Yeah. That's a huge component too for me, man. I just, you know, when I, even when I was a young kid it was like, you could not tell me that I wasn't going to do something, you know? And yeah. it's, I'm really so. glad music worked out, man. Cause I spent most of my teenage years telling all my friends, teachers, everyone around me, <laughs> This is what I'm going to do. I don't need any of this shit. I have my own plan and you'll see, you'll see. So the fact that it worked out is great. I was fucking working at Fazoli's right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So a few more questions. Uh, what's your favorite thing to do outside of fighting? What's something else that you're passionate about? Uh, my ultimate favorite thing to do outside of fighting is, even before fighting, honestly, my most favorite thing to do is just spend time with my family. Uh, that's the number one, even before fighting is my most favorite thing is just spending time with my family. That's awesome. Um, this quarantine deal is, I mean, I love it. It's, uh, you know, it's just the, the hardest part is, yeah, I don't get to go train and that's what, uh, you know, I need to do to get ready for fights and the hardest part because I need to provide for my family. So, um, but 
I am in really enjoying all this time with my, my wife and kids. And, um, besides that it's the fighting. And then, you know, I love the farm. I love just the outdoors and being out there and, and uh, working the farm. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That, yeah, that's definitely the silver lining. Um, it has been the family thing too. Having all, all of our kids at home has been, uh, it's been a trip too. It's been kind of interesting watching how the different kids handle, handle all the family time too. You know, like my daughter is like, yeah. you know, she's read like 15 books you know? <laughs> and my son is just like going yeah. into the, going into the high tundra and like launching his bike off of stuff. Um, <laughs> nice. and, then I, and then I chase the baby around all day. Um, <laughs> who's your favorite fighter of all time? My favorite fighter of all time. Ah, well, one of the first fighters that I, I ever watched, um, and was like, this dude's the man was Chuck Liddell. Yeah. Um, sprawl and brawl kind of method was like, heck yeah. The guy goes in there, he just lets them fly, knocking people out. Walking people back. try to take them down. They can't take them down. Yeah. Awesome. Knocking people out, walking backwards. I remember he yeah. <laughs> throwing overhand yeah. as he's stepping backwards and laying people out, man. Yeah. Yeah, there was. So I guess I had to, to check. That's a great answer, man. There's kind of that golden era of the sport where, you know, everyone is such an intense martial artist now. Um, it's cool to see. That's that's why I really like, uh, you know, the tough guy thing. Like you're a tough guy, man. You really are. <laughs> the way you fight is the like, yeah, man. You could toss me one. Um, you know, I'll happily, I'll happily eat one of yours to give you one back. No problem. Um, what is your walkout song? Uh, and what is your connection to the song? Um, you know, it's, it's changed. Uh, now it changes pretty much every fight. Um, for a while there, I walked out a couple different ones just because I thought they resonated, you know, I felt something from the song. Um, but then, uh, again, back to my family, you know, I love to have my family involved with everything I do. So, you know, as the kids gotten older and everything, I end up, uh, letting them decide what my walkout songs are. Um, so they pick all my walkout songs. They started at the Joe Proctor fight, I believe. Maybe it was that fight. Yeah. But what was the song? They, uh, they pick all my songs. Uh, I walked out to baby shark. And, really? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yep, baby shark. Yeah. I walked out to Baby Shark. Um, let me think what the other one was. Oh um uh, Old Town Road. They wanted me to walk out to Old Town Road. Classic. Um so I walked out to that. And then uh yeah, so I can't even remember what the other one was, but yeah, they pick all my walkout songs now and uh I guess you know, it's, we're all enjoying it together and it just gives them another moment to uh, be a part of the, the whole experience. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So, you know, how I got hip to uh, everyone in North Carolina was somebody sent me a video of Chase walking out to one of my songs. And my initial thought was literally, why would you walk out to that? <laughs> you know? um, I think that says a lot about Chase's personality that he would be down to walk out to such a mellow song. Uh, if I was walking out, that's not what I would pick. I would, you know, I have a, it's, it's funny, dude. I've never had a fight and it's something I think about all of the time of what would the What song would you walk out to? Dude, honestly, uh, 
it would have to be some i've thought a lot about there's a talib quality song um i have a whole jujitsu playlist um but shook ones by uh mob deep okay uh, would be a good one um hang on let me pull up this playlist real quick <laughs> um yeah lots of uh yeah a song called chips by talib quali um and then there's a whole bunch of wu-tang songs that are just like hip-hop for me when i train man is the like it's something that um i don't get angry you know it doesn't make me yeah. like it keeps me like loose like it i it like completely shuts down my adrenaline response like when i get tagged i immediately like shake it off and just go back into rhythm so it have to be nice. something hip-hop because there's something about that beat that just kind of like okay you know gets me in the flow uh yeah baby shark dude that might be the greatest walkout song of all time That's so <laughs> um so how did you yeah what i meant what i meant to transfer into there real quick was so how did you hear uh, about satsung um actually um uh, Benson Henderson had posted it on Twitter and um, so I went and listened to it and I was like it was the song I am mm -hmm. and uh, just fell in love with it and was like just could really you know uh, go you know feel the song and um, you know kind of you know, compare a lot to what's going on in my life at the time and, and you know, things that are how I feel. So uh, I ended up showing it to the Jimmo guys and um, they fell in love with it too. So uh, it just kind of, I felt like, honestly, no matter how it was, you know, mellow or whatever, I just felt it was easy to, uh, to roll to, to train to, it just kind of, you know, fueled, fueled the fire a little bit, honestly, and just kind of got you right in that perfect mood to just, you know, be able to perform. Yeah, man, I appreciate that. Cause that's really what that song is exactly about is that place that you and I were just talking about is that like, yeah. here's where I'm at. Here's where I want to be. Nothing's going to stop me from getting to where I want to be. You know, that, yeah. that was where I was at when I wrote that song was like, okay, no more bullshit. I'm not scared. Nothing. I'm going for this. I'm taking it. Um, yeah, I love that. That was literally the only weird part of training at Jimmo was that the play that the Chase put on was it was like every third or fourth song uh, it would come on, one of my songs. Yeah. On, and that was like the weirdest thing ever to be like, <laughs> you know, tech sparring with my shit playing in the background and not get distracted. <laughs> when yeah. I listen to my stuff, I'm just constantly thinking about what I would have done to <clears throat> the studio to make it better. Um, <laughs> actually really distracting for me uh all right man last question what do you want to be remembered for um oh i want to be remembered for um being the best father and husband and doing everything i could to give me give my family the best life they they could have that's what i want to be remembered for fuck yeah dude fuck yeah all right man yeah I respect that. I respect that so, so much, man. That's something, um, that's something that I've really gotten out of this quarantine situation is, you know, my focus for the past really three, four years have been so heavily on my career uh, because it's been just that mindset of for me to provide this life that I see for us, I have to do, you know, I have to get this thing to this place 
you know, and it, and it really took a, all of this time at home I'm going on. Cause I take four months off in the winter and then we go on tour. So I've been home for a grip. Um, you know, and my wife just being like, we don't need any more, dude. We need you. Yeah. You know, and when that starts to settle in and just realizing, yeah, at the end of the day, man, we have our family guaranteed. And that's about it. That's really all we get guaranteed that, you know, the people that are always, always, no matter what stand by us is, you know, the people we live in our house with. Yeah. Yeah. That's real commendable. Man. Well, uh, yeah, man, I appreciate you, man. And I, uh, um, I'm real glad that you came on, man. I really enjoyed uh, getting to chop it up with you. Um, do you have any ideas? Um, I don't, especially with everything going on and, you know, I'm actually recovering from back surgery. Um, but, uh, I'm working my way back now and I'm hoping August, September, honestly, that's what I'm pushing for. Great. Great. Just a uh, whole back surgery thing. I'm recovery. So it's like, uh, Would you have it's just like, a good point of, um, they did, uh, I guess it's a fusion. Low back? Yeah, low back. Yeah, they tried to do that shit to my neck this winter. Damn. Yeah, the low back, yeah. it's real safe, and the neck, it's not so much. Yeah, that's crazy. I had a friend who did neck. Um, he does jujitsu. I don't know if they fused it or what they did, but he had, uh, I think he has like a scar on his like throat. Yeah, that's how they go. I have a, I have a good buddy of mine that is, uh, it still trains and teaches and, and he had it, but it doesn't seem pleasant. It's risky. Yeah. The, yeah. Doctor, the doctor that I talked to, that was the first question I asked when he said that he thought we should do the surgery. I said, would be able to do jujitsu again? And he said, absolutely not. And I was like, well, <laughs> guess that's off the yeah. table. Then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but well, man, I wish, I, uh, I wish you a speedy recovery again, man. I really you. appreciate you. And, um, yeah, man, let's be in touch. Um, if I'll go and uh, I'll be down in uh, in North Carolina this fall, um, and I'd love to get together with you and the boys and uh, and get some work in. Awesome, cool, yeah. I'll definitely I'll should be there for fight camp and everything. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Good deal, man. Let's talk soon. Okay, cool. Thanks right. for having me on. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, make sure you go find uh, Bam Bam on. Uh, on Instagram and all the <clears throat> all the things and give him a follow so you can stay up to date with what he's doing. It's a really interesting time in MMA with Fight Island and the you know the uh, all the, the the no crowd events. Uh, I'm loving it, but keep an eye. We never know when anyone's going to fight cuz everyone's down to scrap right now. Um, we're going to release two episodes next week. Um, one is going to be me finally doing a Q&A. Uh, you guys sent in some awesome questions. Um, and on top of that, I just kind of want to get into my take on shit and, uh, and the state of the world. Um, and we're going to drop that on Monday. And then, as always, we'll drop a podcast on Friday. And that will be with former WEC and UFC world champion Benson Henderson. See you twice next week, everybody. Take care of yourselves. Peace.